What's up, guys? Welcome to the AFW College Podcast, where we provide you with encouraging content to help you follow Jesus during your college years. What you're about to hear is a recent teaching from Ben Moss at our discipleship school, where he was brought in to teach the students about evangelism, uh, what it looks like to make disciples of the people that you encounter in your daily life some helpful things to keep in mind some vision uh why evangelism is important the power of evangelism shares some really great stories uh during this talk but also practicals how you can be prepared how you can be preparing uh for those conversations that can come up among people that you meet at work at the grocery store at the gym wherever it is you meet people how you can use those conversations to draw them closer to Jesus. So super helpful, helpful for mission trips, helpful just for your everyday living. Uh, but give it a listen. Find what it is for you that you can apply uh, to your life today or this week. Uh, I hope it is a blessing to all of y'all listening. Okay, love you guys. Um, all right, EV, evangelism, okay? Um, Excited about this topic. Um, you know, I said this when I spoke in December about holiness. Uh, have not arrived at all uh, when it comes to evangelism. Still learning. Uh, got rejected like two days ago. All right. So I'm, I, am, I am learning. All right. I'm on a learning journey. Um, but I do believe that uh, there is a part of all of us that is made to talk about Jesus. That God has uniquely ordained us, made us. I have no idea why God set it up that he would use people, but he did, right? Like literally in all of our brokenness and the sin and the things that we go through, the things that we work through, uh, he chooses normal people like you and me to bring and release his supernatural power so that other people can come to know him. God's greatest resource on the earth is going to continue to be people. And I just love it. I love that the Lord has, has set it up in that way. Um, and so uh, this evening, we're going to go on a little journey together, and we're going to go fishing, all right? So I, I brought my pole here. Uh, we, got, we got Raya and the Last Dragon, all right? So here we go. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about, there's so many different places in Scripture where there's metaphors to describe that evangelism is like going fishing. And one of those examples that we're going to be camping out in is in Matthew 4. Uh, we're about to go there. It'll be verses 18 through, through 22. Uh, and I'm going to give you some practicals that I believe can help you to be a man or a woman who embraces the call on your life to be a fisherman or a fisherwoman. Is that fisher woman, fisher man? Okay, here we go. Uh, so, uh, and and I'll share with you those things in a few moments. But we're gonna we're gonna get into the passage here uh, in just a sec. But I, I just want to share one one story here on the front end of really where I felt like my eyes were totally open to this idea that God could possibly use us uh, to share His love with other people. Uh, and it was actually my my freshman year in college. Uh, I went to uh, India. Uh, Will was actually there, which is crazy. Uh, Will Will Hughes was uh, on on the team there, and uh, we we get there to India. I had never been on a mission trip before, uh, especially one that was primarily focused on sharing God's love with other people, and I was terrified. 
And so it's the first day, and the leader comes up to me. He says, okay, Ben, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment. We're going to listen to God. Hey, can I just say this is so powerful, just listening to the Lord and being aligned with what he's saying. And so he goes, hey, we're just going to listen to God. And so we pause, and we start listening. And he said, did did God say anything to you, Ben? And I looked back up at him, and I said, no. Uh, All I could think about is I'm terrified about going and sharing the gospel. And he goes, well, that's okay. And literally, he lays his hand on me, and he goes, I just bind fear in the name of Jesus. And he just starts praying for me. And I'm like, I don't know. That wasn't super meaningful. But anyway, he's just, you know, he's praying for me. And uh, he goes, okay, here we go. Ready, set, go. We're going. So we go into this mall. Now, again, you guys have much better training, okay, obviously, than I had. But uh, we go into this mall. And I go to this guy, and uh, I just start getting to know him. I'm trying to build a relationship with him some. And eventually I said, hey, can I just share a story with you uh, that's really changed my life? I shared my personal testimony, and then I went into the gospel. The, the only problem was when I was sharing the gospel, I forgot to talk about the resurrection. And so I got all the way up until that Jesus died, and that was it. And that, that was my... That was my gospel presentation. Well, the guy obviously did not give his life to Jesus. Uh, And, uh, you know, I just said bye or whatever, okay? So I got a little nervous. I got uh, stage fright when I did it. But then something happened when I was walking away from that conversation. And, And two things, I had this revelation. Two things happened to me. One, I realized God can use anybody. Like, God can take my brokenness. He can take just my, my insecurities and my fear, and he can flip it for his glory, wow. right? And I was like, okay, God, you know, I don't feel like I've mastered this or have any idea how to do this, but I do want to try to be willing, and I do want to try to have an open heart. Evangelism is way less about gifting, and it's way more about surrender, right? And, and just having a, a willing heart to say, Jesus, use my hands and my feet for your glory, And then the second thing I realized is when I just talk about Jesus, when when I did that, there was this joy that just rose up in my heart. And again, I don't know why, but guys, for all of us, when we just declare the name of Jesus, you know, the scripture says there's power in his name. There's something inside of us that goes, this is what we're made for. Now, we're made for a lot of things, but there's, there's a part of us that is made just to declare his name and make him famous here in Fort Worth uh, and all over the world. So uh, we're going to read here Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. It's one of my favorite passages about going fishing. Uh, it says this beginning in verse 18. I think we got it. Perfect. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. We're going to come back to that, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Immediately, the obedience of the disciples just blows my mind. They left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his other brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, lots of Zebedees, mending their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately, again, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus, we just thank you that your word is alive and active. Lord, we thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, as we 
just discuss your word some here tonight. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, Lord, open our hearts, Lord Jesus, however you want to speak, whatever you want to say. We love you, Lord, Jesus' name. All right, so before I talk uh, about fishing a little bit, I just want to highlight a few things from, from this passage. Um, i got to move my fishing pole here because it's getting in the way. All right. Uh, number, uh, the first thing I just want to say is these guys, the disciples, they were not recreational fishermen. All right. So I like to fish for fun. Anybody like to fish? Okay. Awesome. I like to do it for fun. This was not for fun. Okay. Now maybe it was sometimes, but their livelihood depended upon their catch. Uh, their whole lives centered around fishing. So fish was money. Fish was currency, uh, at that time. And so when they leave their nets immediately and they follow Jesus, it would have meant something huge. They would have been leaving their entire career, the safety, the security of their home, leaving their family even. So either they weren't trained in the 21st century model that we have, which is job equals income equals happiness, or there was someone who stepped on the scene who was so much bigger and so much greater. And, and had something so much more to offer them than they could really even imagine, and us too. And I, you know, I, I, I love it because I, I think what was probably going through their minds is, you know, it's not that Jesus just had what they needed. He was what they needed, right? He himself was what they needed. It wasn't just that he was going to give them stuff. It's that he was going to pull them into him and change their lives, which I love. Um, so, you know, the passage that we just read, it mentions four disciples, uh, but many people who've looked at this passage believe that seven out of the 12 disciples were actually fishermen. Now, don't quote me on that, but a lot of people believe that that's true. Um, and I was thinking about that. I was like, why would seven out of the 12 have the same occupation? And I think the reason is because Jesus wanted the disciples to use their skills, their practical skills, to reach people, right? And he wasn't calling the wise and the learned, you know, the synagogue leaders at the time or the priests. He was calling normal people who had normal jobs and lived normal lives, which is awesome. And I think what is awesome about this is it just means none of us get missed on this calling. Like all of us get to jump in on this journey. All of us, God has given each one of us a unique grace, a unique space of influence, uh, a unique people group. Uh, God has given us a heart for someone around us. All right, can I just say, you, you can't get closer and closer to Jesus and not begin to have some of a heart for other people, right? <laughs> because his heart, right, was, was for others. Uh, so my wife Charlotte and I, we have very different passion interests, but the grace of God on us to be a light to the world is the exact same. It's the same grace. It's just expressed in different ways. Does that make sense? So yeah, I work at a church, which I love. My wife uh, works at a clinic in, in Midlothian, and sometimes she comes home and she's like, Ben, I have to pray for a patient today. And I'm like, that is awesome, you know, like it, God is using you in a powerful, powerful way. So I just share that to say, don't ever let the enemy tell you you're on the outside looking in when it comes to the calling on your life. 
to love other people and to share God's love with others because there is grace on you to do it. And the last thing I'll, I'll say here is I love that Jesus initiates with the disciples first. I love that he goes after them and says, come follow me. I'm coming for you, come follow me. Before he sends them out, before he says to fish for people, he says, come follow me. In other words, draw near to me, come close to my heart, spend time with me. And if you get that, then you'll get my heart for other people. And I think that that is so crucial, guys. I so often, I get this order mixed up when it comes to evangelism. And I think, you know, if I can just like share the gospel with enough people, then people will come to know Jesus. But before I know it, it's all about what I can produce for God instead of actually just coming to him and being with him. And if that's the foundation of evangelism, it's so freeing. Because it's not about a particular outcome. It's about abiding and following him and drawing near to him and being with him more than it is anything else. And then actually, when we share with people, they don't get us, they get him. <laughs> Which is way better <laughs> of a strategy. So I just love that, man, that the order in this passage, Jesus got it right. He always gets it right. But... The, the, the writer got it right here, you know, like, yeah, sorry, okay, uh, like, uh, before you go fish for people, come close, come near to me, draw near to me, and as you do that, then I'm going to send you out to fish for people. All right, uh, whew, I get excited. Um, three things that I want to give you, and, and I hope that these will be somewhat practical uh, when is Galveston? Four weeks? Five weeks? Five weeks? Five weeks? After college. Okay, great. Awesome. Um, so uh, I hope that these will be encouraging to you. I, I hope that they'll stir your faith that, that God wants to use you. Uh, but all of these are off the fishing pole, okay? And, and the first point I want to share is this. If you want to... Uh, being evangelist in your life, number one is this, put bait on your hook. Put bait on your hook, all right? So here we go. We got a little Shakespeare uh, fisher guy, all right? Put bait on your hook. So if we're going to go fishing, can you imagine a person uh, who has a hook but no bait, all right? They're going to throw that thing into the water, and what are they going to catch? Nada. Zip, zitch, zero, nada, all right? Uh, so... Uh, so what is bait? Here's very simply what bait is. Bait is any story of God's goodness in your life. Any story of God's goodness in your life. I love how Psalm uh, 34 verse 8 says it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Tastes are real, not imaginary. Tastes are real. They're not imaginary. So if I show you a picture of chocolate ice cream, Isaiah, do we have it? Yes, we do, okay? This is one thing. This is in your imagination. But if I put some chocolate ice cream in front of you, it's going to be a little bit of a different experience because you're tasting it instead of seeing it on a screen, right? 
you and I are called to help people taste the goodness of God. Like the tangible, palpable goodness of who he is. The Bible calls that us being salt and light. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Um, what, does, what does salt do? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when we were in Mongolia, when I had to eat the, the, not had to eat, it was the joy of my life <laughs> to get to eat uh, attic, which was horse meat. Uh, I always just reach for the salt. <laughs> it's like, if I can put enough salt on this, then it's going to taste good, okay? But salt makes things taste, I don't know why I shared that story. Yeah, <laughs> I probably did. I, I didn't. I needed to. Uh, salt makes things taste better. You and I are called to enhance the flavor of the people's lives around us. And you know the freeing thing about that? It may not look like sharing the gospel with someone. It may look like just making somebody's day better. <laughs> and loving the person that is in front of us. What's that old song? You'll know the Christians by their love, by their love. Yes, you'll know the Christians by their love. I think there's some truth to that, you know? Question I often ask myself is, I, is am I making following Jesus taste better to the people around me? I don't always do that. <laughs> I want to do it more. So putting bait on your hook can be as simple as just sharing a story about God's goodness in your life. And I just want to encourage us that you don't have to have a really good or a really bad story for it to be a God story. <laughs> because your personal testimony or even something recent that has happened in your life is not about how bad you were, but about how good God is. Right, And the same grace that might have rescued somebody from going into, from a particular addiction in their life is the same grace that may have kept you from going into that addiction. It, it's the same grace. So it's not, we, we don't have to play like testimony comparison game, right? <laughs> uh, I, I, I've heard it said before, you're a story within a story called redemption. <laughs> so all of us have been redeemed. All of us have been set free. All of us can talk about the goodness of God in some way. Last thing I just want to share here on the, this idea of putting bait on, on your hook. Um, it's important to have the right bait depending on where you're fishing. Um, if you were to go fish for catfish, uh, you would not use the same bait that you would for bass. Uh, in the same way, I love how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. 
all things to all people so that I might save not many, but some. <laughs> In other words, I'm, I'm going to go to the extra mile to be sure that I've got the right bait <laughs> on the hook. And I'm going to be willing to put in the time to learn and discover what the people I'm reaching, what kind of food they like, <laughs> right? And so there, there's different people groups. There's different cultures all over the world. Our staff actually spent some time this morning doing a brainstorming activity talking about what's the culture of Fort Worth, Texas, <laughs> and how can we be a church that's intentional on reaching those people? The list was long. And, and multifaceted. Fort Worth, Texas list may not look like Dallas, Texas list. I grew up in Dallas. They're different. They're just, they're different places. So you might not fish here like you would uh, in Dallas. So, but the, the encouragement is become a learner <laughs> of the people that are around you in your sphere. Um, what makes them tick? What, what are they passionate about? What, what are they interested in? Oh my goodness, how, it's so simple, but like when we just genuinely take an interest in and what other people care about and the people we're trying to reach, it's one of the most powerful ways we can communicate the gospel <laughs> and love people. Uh, I went to Baylor down in Waco, and when I moved here in 2015, that good old green and gold, which is the colors of Baylor University, went into the closet. And, and, and the purple and white all of a sudden emerged <laughs> because if I were green if I ward if I had worn green and gold on that campus here it wouldn't have been helpful now not, nobody would have been like upset well maybe they would have been upset with me uh, yeah they're, they're probably they're passionate they're passionate about they're passionate about their sports um, but what colors might God want you to wear so you can be attractive to the people that, that are around you. I, I don't know what they are, but the Holy Spirit knows. Uh, all right, so that's number one, put bait on your hook. Number two is this, put your hook in the water. All right, here we go. Jordan, you ready? Ready? Oh my goodness, that was, oh, I did not think that was gonna go that far. Holy cow, I almost took somebody's head off. Okay, there we go. All right, I got Sam. Okay, perfect. All right, so, so you gotta... I literally, I practiced that before I came and it went like on the ground. That time it flew like 20 feet, okay? So take cover. You don't know what's going to happen, all right? Um, put your hook in the water. If, if you've got the right bait, story of God's goodness, but you don't put it down into the water, you may not catch a whole bunch of fish, all right? Now, when I say this, I just want to say here on the front end, it's going to be easy for the enemy to plant the lie that what I'm about to say is about performance, don't hear, don't, don't, don't allow the enemy to, to speak that to you. This is not about performance. This is about intimacy <laughs> with God from, from the beginning. So, but I do think there are a few practicals of things that we can do that God has given us strategy for in scripture, okay? So uh, the Bible calls us SALT, and I like this acronym. I, I heard this before. I read this in a book. Um, SALT stands for this, okay? The S, start a conversation. <laughs> start a conversation with someone. Uh, Charlotte and I were at Cafe Bell, uh, which is right by TCU on Saturday night. And one of the things that we like to do when we go out to dinner together is just to ask our waiter or our waitress, hey, 
we love Jesus, and we believe that, that God wants to bless people in our city. Is there any way that we could pray for God to bless you in your life right now? It led to probably a three or four minute conversation of her beginning to just share these different ways that she needed God to intervene in her life. We looked at her, we said, we're going to be praying for those things for you. And then we just finished our tortellini and, and, and prayed for her. And it wasn't like we shared a five-point gospel message, but we just started a conversation and hopefully made her day a little better <laughs> and hopefully helped her to feel seen and known by God himself. Not by us, but, but by God. So start a conversation. Uh, the A of salt, ask questions. What's everybody's favorite subject? Themselves, right? <laughs> Just ask a question about their life and see how that might open up an opportunity to continue the conversation. I know this is so simple, but I really do think we have people that are hurting and broken in our city or wherever it may be, and they're just looking for someone who's actually willing to genuinely take interest in them and ask them a question about themselves. Not for them to be a project to check, but a person to really love, right? Um, the T of salt, tell, oh, excuse me, the L, I jumped. L is listen. <laughs> just listen, listen, listen to them. Uh, the T, tell the story. The story could be any story of God's goodness in your life, whether that's recent or maybe it's your personal testimony. The story could be the gospel story. Whatever it is, tell, tell the story. Tell about who God is and what he's done. Testify to him. So we want to we be great. We want to be salt uh, to, the, to the people around us. Um, you know, one other person that I heard that I, I really like on, on evangelism said this, use the all I know is method. <laughs> the all I know is method. If you ever struggle to come up with words, use this method. I was struggling with blank, but all I know is I met Jesus <laughs> and he set me free. I was finding my identity in blank, but all I know is Jesus liberated me and because of his sacrifice on the cross, I realized that I have unconditional value and worth as a son of God or daughter of God. I had a hard time interacting with people and I felt awkward in social situations. But all I know is Jesus gave me a confidence where I could be fully secure in him and not in what other people think about me. I was headed down a dead end. But all I know is Jesus walked into my dorm room my freshman year, put his hand on his back, told me that he loved me, that he was going to be there for me whenever I struggled with anything, and that I could then experience fullness of life and freedom in him. That's my story. It's all I know. <laughs> all I know is it's just Jesus. <laughs> and what I love about that is you don't have to convince people of your all you know is story, right? People can debate theological t uh, topics. Is God real? Is God not real? They can't take away how he's changed you and what he's done in you. I mean, they can say, I don't believe that, but <laughs> that's it. You know, that's, that's all they can say. All I know is that's what the disciples did. 
their, all their no is method was just to talk about what they had seen and heard. <laughs> That's all they did. Luke 7, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Luke's like, all I know is, <laughs> it's who he is. It's what he does. John, writing later in life, 1 John 1, 1, he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. We've heard him and we've seen him. Now you might say, well, I wasn't around at that time. Eh, but you've heard him <laughs> and you've seen him, right? Last one, Paul, uh, maybe the greatest apostle who ever lived, wrote the majority of the New Testament. Acts twenty-two, fifteen: you will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. Seen and heard. How have you seen him? How have you heard him in your life? And have your little 20-second version of that available <laughs> in your pocket. And you never know how God might land on that and use that to help other people come to know him. The disciples knew that their witnessing was not going to be dependent upon their ability to witness. But it was going to be dependent upon them simply seeing and hearing. I think that when we just talk about what we've seen and heard it frees us up to just be obedient servants and to be vessels of his presence as we share the gospel with those around us and it also frees us up to know that the power is not in the messenger but in the message right i love how paul put it in romans 1 i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of god for people unto salvation for everyone who believes. We can trust God that he is going to use our simple yeses of sharing about him, of putting our bait in the water to bring the harvest. The harvest is up to him. Last one for us is this, fish where the fish are. If you put your bait out into the water, but the water is a swimming pool, you're going to pull up chlorine, right? But probably not very many fish because it's the wrong water. You know, I think that sometimes in my own life, I can get really locked in and I can start thinking that evangelism happens solely in the context of the four walls of the church. It's just me. Sometimes I get locked in. Um, but I don't think God ever intended for the extent of our fishing just to be <laughs> here, right? I think he wants our fishing to get out there some. And uh, my freshman year in college, I, I was kind of faced with this decision. And uh, the decision was, I was at a world mandate. Anybody been to world mandate in Waco? Okay. And um, the purpose of world mandate is to give people an opportunity to respond and go to the nations to share the gospel. And that's not for everybody, of course not. Um, but I was a sophomore in college. College students have more freedom than anybody. They say they don't, but they do, all right? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sitting there, and we're waiting on God. Jimmy Seibert is up there, and he says, okay, 
we're going to wait on God for a nation. And I felt like God dropped this nation in my mind, Mongolia. Now, at that time, I had no clue where Mongolia was on the map. I, I, I remember Genghis Khan. You know, like, that's what I remember <laughs> about Mongolia. And uh, so I go, I end up having a conversation with Jimmy somehow later on. And I said, hey, Jimmy, I felt like at World Mandate, God laid on my heart the nation of Mongolia. And I don't know what to do with it. And he said, well, Ben, it's funny you say that because we just sent out a, a long-term team that is there in Mongolia. And it's on the long-term team's heart to start a young people's church in the hub city of Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. Would you like to lead the team? And I'm like, no, I, I, uh, <laughs> I was just trying, <laughs> trying to be obedient to God. I wasn't signing up to lead something, you know. And uh, I said, well, let me pray about it. And so I went back to my room, and I just felt like the Lord just so... I just felt like he so gently just spoke to me and, and just said, Ben, will you step out on the waters and just trust me? Will you just trust me that, that I'll catch you? I, I know that you're afraid. I know that you don't know what this is going to look like, but will you just trust me? And that night I just said, okay, God, I'll, I'll say yes to this. So I called Jimmy and plans are in place. We literally take about a year of prep work and there's 20 college students that we, we go over my senior year in college. And the first three weeks of our time there in Ulaanbaatar, all we were trying to do was invite people to this weekend event that we were going to have where we were going to worship and share the gospel. That was all we were going to do. And we were thinking, man, if we could find five to seven like people that were hungry that would want to come to this thing, this would be a huge win. Maybe we'll even start a life group like coming out of, uh, out of this three-day weekend event. Sunday of that event, the, the event is wrapping up. Over 500 Mongolians have come to this three-day event that we've had. Over 100 of them have made a decision to follow Jesus. And I'm standing in the back room of this, this room that we had there that, that the event was taking place at. And I felt like God just gently laid on my heart and said, Ben, you risked with me. <laughs> you, you trusted me, and you went for it. And it had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with anyone on our team. This was all God's doing. It was all God's heart. He, he had lined it up. People have been praying for hundreds, I mean, tons and tons of years for God to do something brand new in Mongolia. To this day, there is an Antioch, Mongolia church that is thriving and is led by local Mongolians. There's not an American involved anymore because of the move of God that's happened there. And I say that to say, it's not about going to Mongolia. <laughs> and it's not about necessarily even going to the nation. So it, it may be, if, if that's a calling that's on your life. But it could be about obedience. And it could be about surrender. And there might be a place in your own life where God's going, hey, will you, just, will you just step out on the water a little bit with me? Because your one step that you take could turn into 500 Mongolians. You, you just, you never, never know when we just step out on the water. And 
So I would just invite you to even ask the question, Holy Spirit, where, where are you calling me to risk with you? <laughs> I've heard it said before, faith is, is spelled R-A-S-K. <laughs> Risk, risking with him. And he promises to catch us. I don't think there's ever a time, even the time that I did not share about the resurrection, <laughs> where I've stepped out in faith and just trusted what I felt like God was giving me. And gotten to the end of that and go, ah, that was a bummer. <laughs> I obeyed God, you know. He, he promises to catch us, and he promises to make a way. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Edward Kimball? I didn't either. Edward, <laughs> you're like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> Saw this story, that's why. I thought it was cool. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in the mid-1800s in Boston, Massachusetts. And he decided to share the gospel in his neighborhood at a local shoe store with a guy named Dwight L. Moody. D.L. Moody. Moody eventually became a preacher and witnessed to a man named Frederick Meyer who gave his life to Jesus, who then discipled and led another guy to the name of Jesus by Wilbur Chapman. Chapman then ministered to a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became an evangelist and did a crusade in North Carolina where a lot of people came to know Jesus. The crusade went so well that they asked Billy Sunday to come back and preach again. But he said he couldn't. And so he sent someone in his place by the name of Mordecai Ham. So Mordecai Ham went and ran another crusade in North Carolina, and there wasn't a very big response, not the response that Billy Sunday had, except for one little boy who came to the front, knelt on his knees to give his life to Jesus. That little boy's name was Billy Graham. It's estimated that 3.2 million people have given their lives to Jesus through Billy Graham's ministry. And it was all because a Sunday school teacher from Boston was obedient to the Holy Spirit and decided to share with a shoe salesman at his local store in his neighborhood. Our calling is not to harvest. <laughs> Our calling is to fish. And we never know how loving or serving the person right in front of us could lead to transformation of generations of people down the line. I think God, in his great love for us, wants to say, I'm not looking for your giftedness. <laughs> I'm just looking for your five loaves and two fish. I'm just looking for your hands, your open hands question I often ask myself is Holy Spirit how do you want to breathe on my week <laughs> how do you want to breathe on my day <laughs> how do you want to breathe on my lunch <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm wrapping up here um, but I've heard it said before that people need seven touches with the gospel, actually, 
before they're ready to give their lives to Jesus. And the reason I like that is because we're not called to be everybody's number seven. But we might be the person that takes them from two to three, (laughs) from three to four, from four to five, from five to six, and every once in a while, (laughs) from six to seven. We want to leave our conversations having dripped Jesus on people. (laughs) And however God wants to use it for his glory and his renown, he can do that. Amen.